Welcome to a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And it, it feels like a very long time since I've seen you, Jacob, although it is only one week because we, we released an episode last week. That's, it's, it's not long since I heard your voice. Yes, that's the, <laughs> the, that is true. That is very true. Um, how, how have you been? Um, we are recording this in the Australian summer. How is summer going? Summer is going all right. Some, summer's good. I, I like summer, although it's not been particularly hot. Maybe that's why mm. I like it so much. Over Christmas, we had like 40-something mm. degrees like one day. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, pretty good. How are you? You've, you've been traveling the world. This is why I've seen you but not he- heard you. The, <laughs> yes. The astute podcast listener will have no idea because we've just been releasing things that we had in the can but you've been traveling the world seeing the sights i i have been i've been specifically traveling malaysia um part of the world which is which is a part of the world i went to adelaide also part of the world correct <laughs> um but no that was it's been great it's been a um a really good time i was there for about a month it was a great trip i uh, got to catch up with with family and friends and people that i haven't seen in in almost five years so it's um yeah it was nice beautiful uh, it, it actually uh, leads us to today's podcast topic. Um, so uh, this is one of our famed rambling episodes we're going to do, <laughs> uh, which, you know, um, I, I, I'm going to tell you in advance, dear listeners, uh, you asked for this uh, because, because we, <laughs> we have no idea where it's going to go. It's great. Yeah, no, I, we, we got a few responses after our last uh, less structured episode that it was something that people wanted to hear more of. So we'll, we'll give it another shot. Um so I, I guess the the topic that I just wanted to to throw on the table and, and chat about, I guess, is the. So while I was in Malaysia, I um, I had a really kind of an interesting time with um, you know, when when you travel, you you learn things about yourself and you you mm. kind of you know notice things that you uh, that you're doing well and that you might not be doing well, and I, I find it a great time for self reflection and a time to. Uh, get an understanding of where I'm at in life. And one of the things I really noticed was, I guess, a number of habits that I had developed uh, and a number of patterns that I had been engaging with that were not particularly Buddhist. Um, and and so I, I guess I wanted to talk about, I guess, the the line between theory and practice and kind of, you know, how, you know, I'm interested to hear your kind of perspective on how you engage with, you know, religious theory and theology and, and spirituality, but then also the difference between that and your ability to to live it in a, in a day-to-day mm. life. And particularly as a, as a minister, I think, you know, I would ima- my guess is you'd be pretty good at bringing that to practice because that's kind of like your job. Uh, but, uh, you know, I want to hear about how that goes for you. <laughs> See, that's a really dangerous statement, right? Like it's your yeah. job to, to live faithfully and yeah, put yeah. stuff well into practice. I don't know that that's... How I would describe it, or how I would want to describe it, anyway. Um, that, that's a it's a great question, and I was reading actually a blog post this afternoon. It's from like a couple of years ago, I think, uh, about Jordan Peterson, um, the kind of the rise and fall of Jordan. Our Peterson. favorite, uh, by by somebody who is quite a big fan and and thinks there is much to learn from Jordan Peterson. But part of his critique of Peterson was that he's not been very good at putting into practice. The principles that he espouses. He's also not been very good at like eating vegetables and being healthy, or you know that kind of stuff. Well, and and this is the point, right? Like, because part of it is a, a self-discipline thing. Mm. You know, the twelve rules to life is a, 
a self-discipline yeah. thing. And anyway, just a, an interesting segue. It, it's me neatly avoiding the question. But to ask, was there something about Malaysia in particular that brought this out for you? Or is it just kind of the experience of holiday and being out of normal routine in general? So probably both is the answer to that. Yeah, so, okay. I mean, uh, being out of normal routine certainly helped. Um, yep. But I think specifically Malaysia, what brought it out of me there was that it was familiar. So, you know, I think, uh, and yeah, prob- so probably the biggest thing that I noticed in myself that I think was very non-Buddhist of me was um, I caught myself uh, engaging in a huge amount of expectations and mm-hmm. a huge amount of like, you know, expecting- Is that not what holidays are for? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, but uh, well, at least not, not Buddhist holidays at least, <laughs> not Buddhist. Um but, you know, I, I, I caught myself with expectations for certain experiences, expectations for certain places and things. And, mm. you know, I mean, the big one was that I think I expected and kind of wanted uh, to go on a trip that was, you know, exploratory and adventurous and, you know, finding new places and things. And, you know, a, a lot of the whole idolized kind of overseas travel stuff. Mm. Um, and, you know, Malaysia is very familiar to me. Uh, Malaysia is a place where... Um, you know, there was a, a quite a bit of the trip where we did go off and, and do new things and do things that I hadn't done before and experienced before. But it is fundamentally a country that I'm familiar with, that yeah. I know, that I speak the language with. Um, you know, so it was, I think, that intersection between it wasn't so new of an experience that I got distracted by the newness and by, like, the kind of the cultural discovery of, oh, my God, what is this and what is mm-hmm. going on here that I've never seen. But it, it was a holiday enough that it gave me space to think about stuff. Yeah. But it was familiar enough that I couldn't distract myself from noticing these little habits. And part of that almost even it sounds like was the disappointment of there not being this new, thrilling, exciting yeah. holiday that you'd wanted. Was That was one of the things that you'd noticed that you were wanting. A- absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I so I, I will come back and ask you the question again because you <laughs> did so successfully dodge it last time. But, like, you know, I, I guess what is your relationship between theory and expectation? Or, sorry, theory and practice? Well, the theory is not terribly worthwhile if it's not practiced Mm. i'll I'll put it that way um and a good theory ought to be practicable um this this is actually one of the challenges in kind of christian ethics if you talk about like the way of jesus is exactly what are you talking about in terms of the way of jesus and and can it be done Uh, and part of a, a lutheran understanding of jesus teaching is actually you know kind of Jesus ramps up the expectations and the level of piety that you kind of need to be considered faithful or righteous to the point where no one can do it, right? And you're left with a remainder of one, which is Jesus, who is uh, the only one capable of living up to God's expectations. With the whole point of him doing that to show that it's not about us living up to God's expectations. And when we try and live up to whoever's expectations we're just making a rod for our own back basically which is maybe another way of of sidestepping the question but it is to say that certainly on a christian understanding like i I don't think you ever get there from a practice perspective there are things that you can there are definitely things you can do that take you away from god and there are things that you can maybe do to lean into god to be more aware of god's presence and I, i 
try and practice a bunch of those, you know, devotional practices and prayer and stuff like that. Um, but depending on, you know, depending on what the goal is, if, if there's some kind of ethical goal in end, you're, you're never going to be good enough. If it's a knowing God kind of goal and sitting in that relationship, well, by virtue of it being a relationship of grace, if you step out from it a bit, it's still there to kind of come back to sort of prodigal son style mm. if you're familiar with that parable at all. And do you ever notice yourself, I guess, living in ways that you think are unchristian? I notice that there are times in my life where I'm living kind of with less reference to God, if you like. I, I don't really, I don't, the, the phrase unchristian doesn't really jibe with me in the same way as, you know, the phrase a, a Christian nation or like, like doesn't work for me because, I mean, it's a, it's a cliche, but Christianity is a, a way of being a relationship with God rather than a religion mm. per se. And, and I think whenever you try and distill Christianity down to say it is these habits and these practices and these whatever that make you Christian, then you're doing that same thing of setting a bunch of expectations and you wind up with a kind of almost a no true Scotsman thing. And you can have this you can have this list of Christian values and wind up with medieval Europe where everyone's supposedly Christian, but most people actually aren't. And if you were to ask them about their faith and their prayer life and their, I, I don't know what you'd, what you'd hear. Mm. Um, so f- from that perspective, maybe it's, maybe that's just me re- reiterating a point I think I've made on the podcast before that, there are there are practices that are, are good and kind of Christian in that sense, but you can't say, here are the Christian things to do. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting, right? Because I think, I think Buddhism has probably a clearer definition of things that are Buddhist to do. Like, you know, I... And, and Is this I, like the, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path? Stuff kind or? of probably more so like the five precepts so like the ethical foundation right so like yeah. it's well and again I, I i guess i would draw the parallel to the 10 commandments there right i mean mm-hmm. so so actually i'm going to flip this into a question but like do you <laughs> do you think that do you think that somebody who lives not in line with the 10 commandments are they still being christian well like see that entirely depends like i i had a phone call with my dad earlier this week uh, and he would say that for some of that phone call, I was not honouring my father and mother, right? Which is one mm. of the Ten Commandments. Like, that, does that make me non-Christian? Like, that's that's kind of the mm. the point. Is it good to honour your parents? Yes. Are you are you kind of cut out if you don't know? Like, and and mm. maybe I'm making that into too much of a a false binary. But if, if Christianity is about God and what God's done and us embracing and leaning mm. into that, you can always embrace it more. Um, and and you can... I, I forget the original question now. Well, I, so I, I will leave... Like, I think I have a better question, which is like, I think I'm going to push you on this a little bit. Yeah, because please. I think I, I understand what you're saying, right? In principle, I get that there is no such thing as Christian or non-Christian. It's just God is and you kind of, you know, you either interact with God directly or you don't but you're still in a relationship with god even if you choose to not 
be directly there. Is that, is that kind of the point? That like, yeah. That, so well, well, you're in a relationship yeah, with God, right? That, that, exactly yeah. right. Like, yeah. so for me, who I would say that I don't believe in God, mm-hmm. I'm still a Christian in the sense that I have a relationship with God. Um, well, yeah. No, so see, much I, as, see, I wouldn't call you a Christian at that. Yeah, sure. At that okay. Level. So, yeah. so where's the line? Well, but see, this is this is the problem. Is that the line is really so if, if somebody if somebody says that they're not a Christian, mm. then I'm I'm happy to take that on face value, right? Okay. But then there are people who say they're a Christian who act in unjust ways, sure. if I can put it that way. So are those people then living to the Christian ethic or in a Christian way? No, but it's a question of degrees, right? Because so so this is where like some of the uh, I would say like saintliest people mm. that I know who have been walking with God for a long time and just have, like seem to be more conscious of their sin and their own flaws than I am of mine, um, and and certainly more so than somebody who is not a good Christian, mm. but calls themselves a Christian, would be of their sin and flaws. So so like it's a it's a sliding scale, right? Like mm. and and there's there's no good enough is I guess what I'm trying to say. Like sure, but it is wherever wherever you slice that you, yeah. But if there is a sliding scale, you would do you agree that there is a position on that scale that is closer to God than a different position on that scale? I'd say there's a position on that scale that's more aware of God. Sure. Than it, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so closer in that sense. Sure. Yeah. And and, and yeah. again, yeah. and it's and it's good to be close, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I I would assume Christianity has a an ethical judgment to say that you should be as close to God as you can because that's just generally a good way to be. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So and on that sliding scale, you can be at a position that is closer to God than someone else who might call themselves a Christian but lives in a very different way and is not as close to God. You know, someone who says I'm a Christian but never goes to church, never prays, never speaks to God, never engages in anything. I mean, it's fairly fair to say I would think that they are less close to God than you are as a minister. They're, they're, you could perhaps say that someone in that situation is like a, a cultural Christian or yes. something like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. But so, so I guess then if you apply both of those to be true, you say there's an ethic that says you should be closer to God and that is a good thing to do, and it is possible to be at two different points of the Christian scale, I mean, doesn't that then equal that being at a point that is closer to God is more, maybe more Christian is the wrong word, but a more in line with the Christian ethic than it being at a different point? Probably, like I, I, and I would normally phrase it something something like this: that the the more you engage in those practices that bring you a greater awareness of God's presence, mm. um, then the the kind of more benefit you're going to have from knowing God, mm. if you like. And, and if you if you think that God exists and that Jesus died to save you, but you never pray, like that, well, that's that's great that God did that for you, and that's lovely. But it's not shaping your life. Yeah. Um, and and I would say you, I would say that it is better to have that shaping your life than not. But also just aware of the really fine line with prosperity gospel there, which is not the if you live in relationship with God and are aware of that, that everything's just going to be fine. It's not and a reward system, and but it's it, a yeah. Yeah, a- absolutely right. But yeah. also, 
uh, it does, I think, um, give you more resources um, to to cope with the vagaries of human existence. But also those are things that test people's faith and can push people away from God. I've seen sure. that happen too. I, so, right, so, so maybe if I re-ask the question without so much of the, the ethic behind it, it might come across better. But like, It would be harder for me to dodge. Yeah, so, <laughs> right, so I, I guess so my, my question then is, have you at various points in your life noticed that you have been living further away from God than at other points in your life? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I guess so then, apologies if I didn't say that before. But well, no, you, you, you did, but I, I guess the, the part that you seem to be not wanting to be pinned down on is, like, what is that like for you? Like, as somebody that does buy into the ethic and as somebody who does think that living closer to God is better than living further away for God from God, like, what is it like and how is your relationship with that, those moments of being when you have a theory, a theoretical base mm-hmm. that says you should be as close to God as possible and then you notice yourself not living that close to God or living further away from God than you did three months ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, I've got two answers to that, right? So the the one way that I've experienced that happen in my life is that I just have a realisation after, like, you know, at one point after, like, I was like, man, for the last three or six months, I've not been living by grace, right? Like I, I'd been buying into a, a whatever. Did, did she move mental, towns or something, or like? Uh, yeah, yeah, well done. <laughs> um, it's not even joke time, man. Um, but but like I'd, I'd been buying into this. I need to work hard to to get this, and and I only realised that at the moment that it stopped, right? Which would, I, I would say was God kind of breaking into me at that point and um just reminding me that i you know that's not what defines my existence and i only realized that that had been functionally defining my existence at the moment where it stopped Mm. um so that that is probably unhelpful as a practice because you can't make that happen right but then on the other hand there are times and actually i've i've known a few other people as well who've struggled with this in covid where the the things that you do, the prayer habits and the other things to connect with God and to um, to experience that, just have kind of stopped working mm. for whatever reason. And I, I've had times like that where my my prayer time or my devotional time or whatever just hasn't been doing it for me. We were talking about meditation on a on a recent episode. I, I guess a similar thing. Mm. Um, and see at, at that stage, what I do do is kind of plow on or try and change things up or whatever but I, I don't know if that's what I should be doing and if I wouldn't be better off actually stopping and go like there, there does seem to be this thing that Christian thinkers who I quite admire talk about that it, it's kind of like if you if you're looking too hard for God then it becomes really you have to let God find you, and the harder you try and find God, the the harder it's going to get for you. Yeah, and like, uh, so I guess the the bit that I kind of specifically interested in here is that is that second bit you're talking about, right? It's like there are the moments where you are fully cognitively aware of the ways you would like to be closer to God and the things you need to do to do that, and yet you can't implement it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so so the, the example like you know, that I used you know, from the trip is like, you know, the thing about expectations, 
When I was traveling, I legitimately listened back to a podcast episode that we had recorded where <laughs> I sat there and I said, man, you know the thing that's really bad? Having too many expectations. That, that, that ruins everything. That, that, that's a real shit thing to do. Um, and I said that and we had recorded that episode like less than six weeks before I had gone away. Yeah. And yet, and so it's something I knew. It is something I cognitively was aware of, agreed with, bought into the philosophy of, and yet still proceeded to have a high level of expectations on certain things that then made me miserable because, you, you know, that's what it does. Do you know what works really well for that? Preaching. Yeah, okay. Because when you preach, when you're like, you know, preparing the, the message that you think, you know, you, that you feel that God is what God wants these people to hear this week, it's also a message for me, right? Yeah. And <laughs> so what you're saying so, is I have to record practice, more podcasts. Well, just I'm, I'm just saying it's it's particularly convicting yeah. when you've been the preacher, the practice what you preach yeah, yeah. thing. Uh, until you preach, you don't discover it. Yeah, you know, so, right. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, no, because I, I don't know. I, f- I find that interesting, right? Like that, like that. It's totally possible to be, you know cognitively very aware of something and really convinced of the truth of a statement and yet still have the cognitive dissonance to be able to to not be able to live that statement that you believe to be true. And I would say actually, and, and maybe this is why COVID made it more difficult for, for more people, is that probably what I, what I need or what I find most helpful in those situations is other people. Mm. Um, there's Dietrich Bonhoeffer, friend of the podcast, um, yeah wrote uh, once that the the word of Christ or the I, th- I think it was the word of Christ was the phrase he used um, is stronger on the lips of my brother or sister mm. than it is in my own heart um, and I've, I've definitely found that to be true at different points that um, hearing kind of being being reminded of who God is what God's done what that means for my life it is much more powerful to hear it from somebody else than to just ponder it mm. myself. But also it it can be more vulnerable to to say to someone, hey, I just I'm having a tough time in my faith walk, right? Like that's you know, we're as self made individuals, <laughs> we find that a, a difficult thing to do. So how does how does Buddhism because I don't think you have that quite that same dynamic of other well, people going on in Buddhism. I, no, so you absolutely do. Oh, okay. Um, and, and it's the Kalyanamitta, which is the spiritual friend. Oh, yes. Um, and yeah, I, we I, have I, mentioned this on the podcast I have discussed before, this yeah. before, yeah, but uh, the 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 140-character version of it is that, you know, uh, the Buddha professed that having spiritual friends is critical. For, you know, it's fundamental to... Um, to the path to being able to to become enlightened, uh, and it's kind of why you see significantly more monastic communities than hermits. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people yeah. that go off and live as hermits, but it's rare, and it's kind of it's considered a more fruitful way to to become enlightened to exist in a community of monastics rather than just by yourself. So it's yep. definitely there, yeah. But um, but I think the one thing that probably is maybe different is I, I you know I, and again we have also talked about this before but I don't think Buddhism has the same ethic of this is the way you should live there's there's the way you should live if you want to live you know in line with being enlightened and that kind of stuff and I so you know to, to make it clear I I don't think that living with expectations is inherently un-Buddhist uh, even though I, I did actually say that um, but like I, I think it's 
you know, that you can absolutely be a Buddhist and have expectations. You can be a Buddhist and keep none of the five precepts. I famously heard someone say once that, um, you know, the, the five precepts are deliberately unachievable, right? Like you, you must fail at them, and that, that's kind of part of the practice. Well, this is kind of like the, the Lutheran understanding of a lot of Jesus' teaching, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, you, you take a precept not to kill anything. Well, I'm sorry, I have walked through yeah. a number of, you know, amoebas and they're, they're dead now. Uh, and, I've taken know. antibacterial, yeah. you know, yeah, antibiotics, yeah. that's what they're called. They kill the bacteria. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, so, you know it, it is impossible to do and it's, that failure is part of that process. Um, but I think, uh, you know, there's the... So, so there's the unattainability and the the impracticality of actually ever achieving any of that. But then there's also, I guess, this sense that like, you know, you don't have to want to do that. And it's that, you know, taking any of it is better than taking none of it. But again, this sense of better is only better in so much as you want to be well, enlightened. So I've, I want to throw the question back yeah, at yeah. you then, like, well, where's the line of Buddhist in that case? Like, am I a Buddhist? By this definition, so I'm sure I keep some of the precepts. So you, so honestly, without I, even trying. honestly, I would say you are. Yeah, okay. Because I, I think you know, and we 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 did do our big uh, question about what is a religion, but I, I, I yeah. think I think Buddhism is both a religion and a practice. Okay, you know, so I I, I think Buddhism can make you a better Christian. I, I would like to think that Buddhism all the way back to Buddhism does episode make episode one. Yeah, 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 but I would like to think it does make you a better Christian. The the fact that you talk with me and you know some of the Buddhist teachings might align with things or make you think about things. And I, w- I would like to hope that does make you a better Christian and the same for all the listeners who are Christians. Um, so, yeah, I, I would actually say that you are a Buddhist. Um, I wouldn't say you are, you know, of the Buddhist faith or, you know, you know I wouldn't tick on the census you're a Buddhist in the religious <laughs> box. Uh, you might get fired. Um, but, um, but you know, it's I... It's supposed to be confidential, man. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I mean, so, so I, I guess I want to call out my own kind of, you know... Uh, you know, to, to be completely um, mincing my own words here and, and being completely hypocritical of myself, I want to call out my own un-Buddhist <laughs> statements of saying that things are un-Buddhist. Um, <laughs> you know, but um, but no, I, I, I think... But are there un-Buddhist things that you can do? Like, like is killing someone un-Buddhist in a way that maybe doesn't make you not a Buddhist? Yeah, I, 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 yes. Like love the sin, hate the sinner kind, yeah, kind of kind vibes? Of way, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. like, you know, th- there are things that are not in line with the Buddhist path. Let's put yep. it that way, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, and I guess the only level of judgment that I place on myself for this, so, you know, the reason that I look at myself and go, what the hell are you doing having expectations, is that I have, at least to myself and to everyone I speak to, professed that I believe in the Buddhist path. Um, so, you know, the, the fact that I do believe that and it is, a decision that I have taken to want to live in line with that makes it kind of uh, a problem that I'm doing things that are not living in line with that. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I'd made a different decision in life and said, actually, no, I don't care, then it, it wouldn't matter so much. Yeah, that's interesting. That that actually, in a way, goes to the part of the, the problem and the challenge of Christian leadership. Like, mm-hmm. I, know, I know you were touching on this before, but like, so when there's there's been... A couple of a couple of instances that I could cite quite contemporary to the recording of this podcast. There's a, a scandal that um, over the last few months that's um, engulfed Brian Houston and George Pell has recently died, which has been met with uh, sorrow in a whole bunch of different mm. ways. 
Um, and and that's a challenge when Christian leaders behave in particularly unchristian ways or ways that are particularly harmful to others because it doesn't mean necessarily that they're any less Christian or or any that, that God loves them any less for that right like that obviously that's kind of a, a pretty core tenet mm. of the whole Christianity thing um, but it does mean that their position in leadership may be untenable mm. uh, and that and that's a weird tension that some communities really struggle with because they're like well if God forgives, shouldn't we also forgive? But then part of forgiveness is also has accountability and a whole bunch of other things. Well, and also, uh, also yeah. when that position in Christian leadership is dependent on things other than God's judgment, right? Like, 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 I mean, to use the example of George Pell, which I probably know slightly better than the example of Brian Houston, um, you know, that's probably less likely to wind us in libel. Than, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but like, my, yeah, my understanding is that you become a senior person in the Catholic Church through what is ostensibly politics. It, it, it's a, you know, it's a different kind of politics to, you know, what we would say that ones that run nations. Um, but, you know, that, um, you know, d- depending on the degree of your faith and the degree to which you believe the Catholic doctrine, I mean, as a non-Catholic, I can probably say that I... I'm not 100% on board with the fact that God has anointed the Pope and then every single thing the Pope says is infallible and that therefore means that every decision and appointment they make is purely a trickle down from God. Like, I, I don't... I think there's a lot of Catholics that would be with you on yeah. that. <laughs> uh, you know, so, and so, so I would say that George Pell was placed in his position in the Catholic Church through politics. It was through something that wasn't actually to do with God, but more to do with human... But is that, uh, you know, hu- human structures? Is that not the case with, so leaving aside the possibility that God can work through human mm. structures, which I, I don't want to discount that, mm. but is that not the case for any religious leadership, whether it's a, a minister in a local church or an imam or the ayatollah or the pope, that, that it, it's a human leadership position and there's no leaders if no one follows and- i mean i yes and no i mean i sure i think if, if any structure gets big enough it'll kind of eventually have politics but i but like even like 20 or 30 people have politics don't they like in terms of how a leader kind of comes to to be they do but i i i, I don't know maybe this is just bias but i, I have more i have more time for the argument that a small town minister who is in a town of a couple of hundred people and is the person who feels the most like they want to be a minister and then goes and trains and becomes a minister is called to that by God and is, you know, put in that position by God than somebody who is five tiers down in the Catholic church, you know, and, and it's a big kind of structural thing. And there's a bunch of people that have, you know, taken on those positions of ministry in the Catholic church that have nothing to do with their relationship with God. I don't know. I, 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 and, and maybe that's that's bias of mine. But I, I, I guess I, I see, I see that people who are less involved in big structures can often be, not always, but often be more connected to the spiritual side of what they're doing. And maybe that's just because there aren't as many rewards or like you know, you know, there aren't as many carrots other than the spiritual ones to bring them there. I, I want to. Push back on that just a little because because I would say that 
um, that small town and someone goes away and studies for the priesthood or, or whatever and then comes back to be a minister in that place. Like, I, I, I think somebody kind of becoming that minister and then doing it rather competently in a way that's um, you know, admired by others and then they become bishop of a city in Argentina mm. and so on and, mm. and that gets other people uh, are, are taken by that and eventually they become the Pope. Like I think, I think that's just that writ large. But what I would say in that is that the, the, the difficulty that we have and the difficulty that a lot of people I think have with um, George Pell is that you know power corrupts and, and there can be a big thing of uh, a defense of power and defense of the institution but that's not limited to a couple of levels down from the top of the Roman Catholic Church that can be just as present and just as damaging in a faith community of 20 or 30 people, it just won't make headlines. So maybe what I'm saying then is that at some point, the politics will always kick in, and I think that the bigger the structure, the more likely that is to happen. Okay, maybe. Right. Yeah, maybe. I'd, I'd question that, but I don't have the evidence to yeah. mount an argument. So, so sp- speaking, <laughs> speaking of small town, though, there is. Um, it reminds me of this time a Christian and a Buddhist walked into a bar. In a small town. In, in a small town. Yeah, and they, they came... Only had- Oh, I won't name. We're not sponsored by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 Only at Coopers. I'll, I'll Coopers. happily name Coopers yeah. without them giving me money. Yeah. Um, they, so they walked into this bar in a small town, and there were three pastors from that small town who were all like sitting there having a having a drink in the bar. Um, and, and one of them was, yeah, they were complaining about a, a bat problem, like a bat yep. infestation in their churches. And one of them was like, oh, man, since summer started, I've been having trouble, trouble with bats in my loft and my attic. And I, I've tried everything, right? Noise, spray, cats, like nothing seems to scare them away. And the second pastor goes, oh, yeah, me too. I have hundreds of bats living in my belfry and in the attic. And I've, I've had the place fumigated and, and they won't go away. The bat, bats just stick around. And the third pastor uh, piped up and was like, oh, no, no, I, I, I found the solution really easily. I, I just baptised all mine, made the members of the church, and I haven't seen one since. <laughs> yeah. I saw some bats the other day. Okay. I didn't baptise them. They're oh. flying over the lake. Like I, I don't know if you've noticed this in Canberra, the phenomenon of the bats coming out at ah. about half past eight, nine o'clock at night this time of day. Yeah. 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 This time of year. Um, so the last thing I do want to say on this, though, is I, I actually think, to the Buddhist point of this, I think actually the... Um, the, the Mahayana and Zen traditions, I actually think, potentially explain this in a much more understandable way. than okay. um, So yep. I think the Theravadan traditions, because they're a gradual path tradition, they can mm-hmm. and often... And that's your tradition. Yes. Yeah, for, the, for the listener. Yeah, they can often kind of um, fall into, like, you know, talking about, oh, well, you're further along the path or less along the path. It's kind of confusing. And I, I find the Mahayana versions of this kind of almost easier, which is this idea of Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. So in Mahayana, they have a concept that everybody has Buddha nature inside them. And essentially you either, you know, you're you're either living in line with or living like your Buddha nature or you're not living in line with your Buddha nature. And it's just there and you have to discover it. And it's it's in latent and inherent. And the the path is almost to just like uncover your full Buddha nature and just live like that as much as Mm -hmm. you can, Um, which I find a much neater way of explaining this kind of concept of like, you know, are you or are you not, you know, in law, or is this action, or is this, is this action not in line with your with your inherent Buddha nature? That's that's really helpful because that actually reminds me of a Christian crossover, which is mm. the practice of baptism, right? Mm. Which is that you know, if if you're baptized, that's God's yes on your life, and mm. then you know, it, you can live into that or not 
as much as much as you like but something luther was fond of saying with when someone asked him you know are you really a christian like what what have you done yeah. to prove that you're a christian he's like i'm baptized that's and that was yeah. his answer you know this is you know one of the I think you could say most significant Christian figure, well, yeah, certainly mm. one of the most significant Christian figures of the last 2,000 years, top five maybe. <laughs> um, but but he's... Up there with JC. <laughs> his response to, to that question of, are you a Christian? Oh, I'm, I'm baptised. Checks out. Yeah. 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 Um, well... Maybe he was secretly Zen. <laughs> uh, Martin Luther, uh, or Buddha Martin Luther. Yeah. <laughs> Um, look, that's all we probably have time for today, Jacob. Um, but thanks for having the rambling conversation with me. Look, this one felt a little bit cleaner than our last rambling conversation, but you know, I will leave the listeners to judge that and they, they can let us know. And we'd, we'd love to hear your responses to, if, if you're a Christian, you disagree with anything I say, you're a Buddhist, you've got questions about what Jamal said, you want to add to it. ChristianBuddhistBar at gmail.com is the place to find us. That's right. And all our music is by uh, Kevin McLeod. And please uh, send the podcast to a friend. We'd love to have some more people listening in. See you next week.